Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome to Rising Stars. I am Miriam Knight, and we have a wonderful lineup of guests today. Our first guest is Paula Moran. She's a new thought leader and futurist in the field of higher mind consciousness, who specializes in the repatterning of conscious, unconscious belief systems and teaching how to resolve inner conflicts of the ego mind by developing a relationship with your true self. She was born in America's Midwest to a Catholic family, but embarked on a journey of spiritual exploration in the late 1970s that led to a powerful awakening experience 10 years later. She has poured the wisdom she gained into an emotional healing e-course called What's the Issue, which guides you to the core of the issues that have been programmed into your unconscious mind and are holding you back from happiness and personal freedom. Well, we want to learn more about that. Welcome, Paula. Well, thank you so very much. Paula, you know, so many people write about having an awakening experience, and I have to admit to being just a little jealous. What do you think precipitated yours, and what form did it take? Well, it... It started, um, it was almost, it almost seemed like it was out of my control, even though all my life I've been very um, intuitive and very conscious, even as a small child. And then, you know, I've always been interested in the Veda and um, Buddhism and yoga, even when, you know, I was born in the 50s. So, you know, even in the 60s and 70s when it wasn't so popular. And then I just started following this intuition, this inner guidance that just kept leading me to, you know, lectures and meditations uh, because yoga back then wasn't so exercise dominated. It was mostly uh, meditation and and lecture from gurus and um, yogis that would come to town. So uh, it just felt like this inner teacher was guiding me someplace and um, I was at that uh, yoga lecture in Manhattan and the guru some guru I don't even remember his name just pointed at me and said that I would experience nirvana in this lifetime and quite frankly at the time I had no idea what that meant (laughs) I thought it was a restaurant or something you know it's like what is nirvana and then just that knowingness took me deeper and deeper into the process of enlightenment and from Manhattan I moved to Los Angeles and I got there at the very beginning of channeling uh, in the early 80s and you know it was a kaleidoscope of so many different healing modalities from Native American shamanism every everything was going on in Los Angeles at that time and the channeling world started and incredible data came through so many people and it was through that venue that I got deeper I kept asking you know how can I become more enlightened or how can I become enlightened how could my mind be free and it 
just happened um, one day, my mind shut off. Uh, it's kind of a good way to say it, it just went silent. I happened to be at the Gem and Mineral Show in Tucson, and I was looking at a specimen, and all of a sudden my mind just went quiet. And I even made mention to it to the guy in the room, and he was, you know, he just said, "I think that's a good thing." And since then, that was in the 80s, and since then, my mind has been silent, and I um, experience a different reality than most people. I, I do see life from a different perspective, not so much, you know, that the world is after me. Um, I really see that I create my own reality, and how can I make it how I want it? And how, why that happens is what's programmed in us. And so I help people get to the place where they could, you know, have a quieter mind, have a happier life, and enjoy their time on Earth. So the crux of your experience was a shutting off of all the chatter, the back chatter and the noise in your mind. So the implication is that that is acting as kind of a mask between us and our knowledge of who we really are? Yes. Well, it's um, the chatter. Yes. In essence, well, the mind, um, so it starts out our earlier life experiences with our parents when we're too small to really know any better is when our whole life is programmed. And so whatever we hear from our parents or society or caregivers is like, um, we believe it. And then we start living those beliefs and start saying, this is how my life needs to be. And we start believing the anger, let's say the anger, the fear, the resistance, the confusion as being real. And we give it more and more power. And that's what blocks us. Those beliefs are shroud our true self. Our true self is always there. But when the mind keeps its rhetoric going, it stops us from experiencing that bliss and that freedom, that liberation that we all seek. Now, this um, inheritance from well-meaning parents, or sometimes not so well-meaning parents, peers, and so on, is a pretty well-known phenomenon. Um, your uh, program is intended to help people cut through that uh, to to a better realization of who they really are. What is the essence of how you do that? Well, what I created, um, you know, everybody always asks me, you know, what's the issue, you know, or I'm asking clients, you know, what really is the issue? And, you know, there are trillions of beliefs. I mean, you know, our thoughts create all these beliefs, and we believe that they are true, <laughs> in essence. You know, we believe that they're true. Like, you know, a lot of people believe that, you know, illness is their path, so to speak, sometimes. You know, I've heard people say that, you know, I have this certain disease and or I'm addicted to something because that's my dharma in this life. And I quite frankly don't believe that it's their truth. It's really an obstacle to get to their truth. So what I've devised is this program to get to the core. So um, in the 90s, I got this information uh, during a meditation about the core. Um, 
And how I see it is the core is a, it's a belief. It's based on a belief about worthiness and about love. So it's, I believe I'm worthy of love. And what most people do is that they don't believe that they're worthy of love. And I'm not talking about romantic love or sexual love. It's, you know, self-love that they don't believe that they're worthy of love. So then they do everything in their power unconsciously, of course, because all of that stuff has been programmed unconsciously or subconsciously. And they do everything in their power to push themselves away from their truth or away from everything that they really desire on this planet. And it's not, done, you know, people don't sit there and say, I think I'm going to consciously, you know, push myself away from being loved or, you know, I'm going to consciously create a disease. It's all the subconscious programming that we've learned, not just from zero to seven or 10 years old, but let's say zero to 20 years old or 30 years old. You know, people, you know, conversations are really interesting because people say that, you know, somebody has an idea and then you hear somebody say, well, you can't do that. There you go. It's a belief system. And then we start believing that we can't do something. And then we keep building these walls in our minds that keep saying we can't get there, we can't get there, we can't get there. It's just fa so fascinating to me, the mind and how programming is so powerful to that mind. Even though that the mind, um, the mind is very interesting because it will only, it's like holographic, it will only project what's programmed in it. So... I work to unprogram the mind so that it's like a clear field, you know, like a big soccer field, and then the person can plant what they want uh, into that field. And so the program, what's the issue, gets to the core of what's happening in a person's life. So for example, you know, someone says that they're unhappy. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a straight line to a situation where the person was unhappy as a child. It's not a direct line there. There's lots, the subconscious is multi-layered by experiences. So I can find those core patterns in the mind, and that's what I devised in the, what's the issue program is a nine-step process asking yourself, asking the person questions or themselves those questions, nine questions to get deeper and deeper into the unconscious. Well, it's well known that people, a, a variety of people may look at the same event and each one will report something very different. So there is this interplay of your own experience and expectation with how the world comes at you, how you perceive it. So um, what you're uh, doing is kind of clearing away or clearing a path to arrive at your true self. It's interesting. We had um, Yogi uh, Amrita Sai on the show last week, and he said that you can't have a relationship with anyone else until you have a good relationship with yourself. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about developing the relationship with your true self. Is that how uh, you kind of approach the the solution right everything begins with us you know our our individual self everything every every little action every little thought every little um 
feeling begins with us first. And if we don't have a relationship with ourselves, we can't possibly have a relationship with anybody else or anything else. There's a good that, relationship. Well, healthy, I'm talking, yeah. you know, healthy. Of course, we have lots of relationships, but they're not so healthy all the time. <laughs> so, yes, and so everything gets projected. Um, one of my big things is, um, you know, we're all reflections of each other. We mirror each other back and forth. So, yeah. Well, listen, Paula, we have to take a quick break, but uh, we will be back with this fascinating conversation. I'm speaking with Paula Moran about what's the issue? The Real Conscious Connection. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Dr. Kevin here, and I want to invite you every Thursday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, to join me on The Dr. Kevin Show, where we have a diversity of guests who help you step outside the box, behind the curtain, and see what a load of crap is going on in the world today, so you have more information with which to make better decisions. We'll see you there. Namaste. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. Are you trying to get from point A to point B and need a little advice? Connect with the counselors at Ohm Times Advisors. Whether you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual intuitive, the advisors participating at advisors.ohmtimes.com were carefully chosen based on their gifts, skills, and professionalism. Ohm Times Advisors, connecting you with the best advisors in the business. Hello, I'm Miriam Knight of New Consciousness Review, inviting you to my new show where I interview the rising stars of the Conscious Awakening. We'll explore the many faces of consciousness and action and intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on The Rising Stars Show. The best of holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back with Paula Moran talking about how to get uh, out of our own way and be the best selves that we can be. Paula, your course, What's the Issue, um, offers some tools for people to master themselves, to gain mastery. Um, can you describe some of them for us? Uh, yes. Well, the course is takes a person, asks a person a question, like, what's the issue? <laughs> you know, like, what's the issue? And the example that I used is, you know, a person doesn't feel confident, which is, uh, you know, pretty common. So we don't feel confident. But what is the what is the fear about? So I ask a person to go through these nine steps. So what's the fear about not being confident? Or what is the anger that comes up when you feel like you're not confident? And so I see the core as not just a believe worthy love, 
but also fear, anger, confusion, denial, resistance, and an addiction. So I use those um, ideas, those concepts, asking a person more questions about what do they really feel or what do they really experience when they don't feel that they're confident or whatever the issue is. So say, you know, my boyfriend doesn't love me or I can't seem to make any friends or I can't make any money. So what's really happening underneath that original thought or idea or belief? So in in the in the program, I start with the confidence. So confidence was um, that their mother, um, you know, the client's mother didn't um, support them. So she felt she felt like, you know, she had to live her life based on what her mom wanted. So she never had the confidence to go out and do what she wanted to do. So it's so fascinating to me that, you know, what we discover is what's lying underneath what we think and believe and live in our lives is not what we think and believe and live in our lives. It's something totally different. So I take a person through these nine steps and then they re- it reveals what the core issue is and then they can make changes in their life. It could be a fear or an anger and then they could resolve that fear and anger by themselves um, either with a person or sometimes it's not, you know, if it's with a parent, I don't advocate um, engaging parents unless they're pretty conscious because a lot of times the parent will go into denial and then the person will feel more uh, slighted or whatever. So what I encourage people to do is to get a picture of a parent, a father and mother, and start talking to that picture. And I know that sounds pretty bizarre, but it really is effective in getting the issues out of ourselves because that's where they are. Yeah. That's that's very interesting because my husband is a hypnotherapist and, um, you know, he goes straight for the subconscious. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like your process is very, very analogous. It's kind of hypnosis without going into trance or self-hypnosis. Tell me, what are the most common um, issues that people have do you, is it across the board or are there some that crop up over and over and over again well for women it's a lot of times i'm not good enough and that seems like it's an archetypal pattern um you know and it's almost instinctual in a lot of women that they you know because how our society is set up men are quote unquote more superior and then women are like that second you know, hand or whatever, however, right. So then we feel that we're not good enough. And, or the, as a child, we're usually where that pattern originates as a child, um, something to do with discipline. So the, we get disciplined and we don't know why. And then we feel like we're not good enough for mom and dad's love because they're hitting us or they're yelling at us. So we must not be good enough for that love. And it always comes back to that love, the worthiness of that love. It's just, so that's the one pattern. I'm not good enough. The other thing that's come up is doing something wrong. People always feel like they're doing something wrong in their lives and they uh, don't know why. It's because as a child, they got reprimanded for doing something and their parent never described what it was that they were doing wrong. So instead of sitting there and consciously saying to them, oh, by the way, you know, don't put your fingers in that socket, 
the parent pulled them away from the socket and hit their hand and said, no, this is not right. Well, then the kid doesn't know, what did I do? I'm doing something wrong, but I don't know what. And so a lot of people grow up not wanting to take chances and not wanting to take risks in their life because they're afraid that they're going to do something wrong. And that's, that, that's where that pattern started. Fascinating. I never thought about that. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. And the other one is, what will people think? I mean, a lot of Christians, um, I was born Catholic, so, you know, what what will people think? My mom lived her life for everybody else but us, so, you know, what will people think? And that's where that pattern started is, you know, we have to look nice. We have to do it for other people, the neighbors, the cousins, everybody but ourselves. And we are most powerful, not everybody else. So it's a, it's interesting how the patterning sets up for the rest of our lives. And then we don't really know why we're doing something. We're just doing it. Mm-hmm. And what I teach people is to come back to themselves, to come to their truth, their true self, and then live their lives. So it's like changing the fabric of their self, their truth, and allowing them to you know feel free to do what they want in their lives. Is this something that people um, are awakening to in greater numbers? You know, the, the, the sort of the awareness that there should be more in their lives. And uh, I, I'm assuming that that is really the motive force behind uh, the, the whole self-help industry, the whole new age industry. It's looking for this spiritual connection. And going back to what we said earlier, the spiritual connection is first and foremost with yourself. It's connecting back to who you really are. And and that is a tremendous gift to give to someone to, to recognize that you are worthy of love, that you, you have done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and just to get rid of that guilt you know, it's sort of the, the, the Catholic in all of us. Right. By the way, Jews are the same way. Yeah, right, exactly. They both had mothers. Right. And yes, exactly. So um, it's coming back. We are the closest to our God self as a child. And then it's society and parents and everything kind of strip us away from it but that's where we're closest and then we start growing up and believe that we have to have some kind of life we have to go to college we have to we have what would people think if we didn't go to college and got a degree if we didn't get a degree we can't get a good job and we build a life it's like building a high-rise building we keep putting these floors on top of this god essence that have nothing to do with the truth of who we are And what I do is, and what the program does, is dismantle all of that. And the program does it pretty quickly by asking these nine questions. It seems simple, nine questions, but it really takes people deep into their subconscious. And when I do work privately with people, I can actually find those patterns for them and then release them um, through a process of visualizations. But, you know, we build this whole big, I call it like a big high-rise, but we're standing on a cracked foundation. And, of course, what happens with that is that eventually it's going to topple over. So how, what that, does that mean in our regular life is that 
we get a divorce and we don't know why, or we get fired and we don't know why. We can't hold on to relationships. We have, you know, we can't communicate. We can't hold a job down. That's because of all this imbalance when we were a child. Of course, we all do it. We all have it, but it's rec- it's acknowledging it and changing it and coming to the truth of who we are. The truth will set you free. So uh, you do retreats. Do you find that the dynamics of this work in a group setting are different from the dynamics when you do it one-on-one? Well, sometimes if people don't know me, they you know are a little shy about speaking up. But I have an enormous um, gift of being able to tap into people's energy and know exactly what to deliver in a retreat. So I'm doing a retreat in October 11th here in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's an opportunity to really enter the silence. Um, That's because my mind is silent. I can pull people into that silence with me. And then their ego mind will, you know, have some rhetoric and some dogma attached to it, and then we can clear it. And it's a perfect opportunity to get to the core of their true self. What is your understanding of what happens when people engage in meditation? Because if there is one recommendation that I hear from virtually all of my guests, it's to establish a pattern of going into the silence, of meditation, of going into nature, just being silent. What happens in that silence? Well, I... I think that people feel um, alive. Well, I hope they feel alive. They feel more connected to their truth at that place. But a lot of times meditation isn't, well, to get to that place, uh, Miriam, that's a long-time meditator. You know, that does not happen immediately. Um, But a lot of times, like in Buddhist meditation or Vipassana meditation, people really focus on something, like they focus on their fear, like what is that, and they start to dialogue with that fear or their denial or their confusion. And then they get to the core, which is similar to what the issue program's all about, and they get to their, their truth. And then they see at that place, in that silence, there is peace. There is everything that's available. It's like riding an ocean, you know, on a magic carpet or something. It's just freedom. There's nothing holding a person back. So it's delicious, in my opinion. It's just amazing. So, Paula, where can people go to find out more about your work, your your personal practice and your retreats and your e-course? At my website at paulamoran.com. Uh, everything's up on the website, or they can send me a personal email at info at paulamoran.com. That's P-A-U-L-A-M-U-R-A-N.com. I'd be happy to help them uh, navigate my site or ask any questions that they may have. I'm always available to help people. Lovely. Uh, is there like a pearl of wisdom you want to share with our audience in closing? My pearl of wisdom is that everybody, I said this earlier, is that everybody is a reflection of everyone else. So whatever you see in a person that you don't like, it's an aspect of yourself that you don't like about yourself. And everything that you love about somebody else is an aspect of of that person that you love about you. And it's so amazing to see that in other people. A pearl of wisdom indeed. Paula Moran, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And do stay with us. We'll be right back with our next guest, Neil Katz. 
Free your mind with Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Imagine receiving healing, vibration raising energy as you listen to the radio, energy that flows effortlessly to you. Imagine exploring all things metaphysical, sharing in an ongoing adventure. Join me, Karen Smoot, along with my co-hosts, Lisa Victorson and Wendy Weber, for Immersion into Source, every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on OM Radio. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of OM Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of OM Times. Hosting a show on IOM-FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Simone Millicis would like you to know that business can be fun, which is why she wrote the book, Joy of Business. What if you could have the joy of business rather than the stress and struggle? Most of the time, the only thing stopping you from a thriving business is you. In the Joy of Business book, Simone gives you access consciousness tools and pragmatic ways to get out of your own way and to create the business, life, and living you know is possible and beyond what this reality says is achievable. Business is joy. It's creation. It's generative. It can be the adventure of living. You can purchase your copy of the book through Amazon or Joy of Business website, www.accessjoyofbusiness.com. If you've ever said, I do, I do want it all. I do want happiness. I do want love. And I do desire the happily ever after fairy tale life. Then this show is for you. Join me, Dean Nicole Brandon, for my internationally acclaimed show, Bridal Talk Radio, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time, where I'll bring you the top experts in the fields of communication, money, relationships, finance, pleasure, play, travel, sexuality, parenting, real estate, adventure, comfort, care, passion, and love. Free your mind. Expand your soul. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. We are back with my guest, Neil Katz. Neil is a semi-retired, successful serial entrepreneur and former stockbroker with a passion for women's rights. He lives a life based on self-awareness and love, he practices yoga, meditates daily, he's taught A Course in Miracles, produced Oregon wines, enjoys reciting Vedic sutras, and writes his own inspirational poetry. Now, this Renaissance man has just brought out the first volume of the Victoria Woodhull Saga. Now, Victoria Woodhull is an extraordinary woman who rose from being abused and prostituted by her father to becoming the first female securities broker on Wall Street and a fiery campaigner for women's rights. Neil's inspired dramatization of Victoria's story serves to heighten awareness of the historical and continuing degradation and subjugation of women, as well as to expose the historical basis for the manipulation of the free markets of stocks, bonds, and commodities. This book absolutely saved my bacon on a very long trip, um, 24-hour trip, 
uh, through many airports, and I am so grateful to him for having written him and uh, written the book. And in fact, Neil has pledged 50% of the royalties from this book to a foundation for the empowerment and economic improvement of women, especially single mothers, that he formed in tribute to Victoria Woodhull and her passion for women's rights. And I might add that it is a fascinating and compelling read. Welcome, Neil. Hi, Miriam. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on your show. Well, I'm delighted because I had never heard of Victoria Woodhull. This is such an extraordinary personality. How did you become aware of her? Well, I was actually reading about uh, another woman, uh, Jane Addams, who established the Hull House in Chicago uh, almost a generation later. And um, she kept referring to someone who inspired her, and it was Victoria Woodhull. Uh, Victoria Woodhull was the first woman to be invited to speak to Congress. And uh, Jane's father at that time was a senator, and she may have even uh, encountered her at that uh, presentation to a committee of the Judiciary uh, Committee. And um, then I read a book by uh, one of the wonderful grand dames of literature and arts uh, in America, Barbara Goldsmith, called Other Powers, uh, which is a history of spiritualism and um, the women's movement, as well as, uh, in general, Victorian times, uh, primarily leading up to in post-Civil War and, and through the end of the century. And um, I became fascinated with her and was studying her. And I had the uh, odd occasion to actually uh, die in a hospital uh, for a few minutes. And I've always been open to, um, I don't know, uh, spiritual or other sources. But Victoria started talking in my head. And she said I needed to write her story. She wants to come out of the uh, obfuscation and the cover-up of her story, which was uh, self-inflicted as well as intentional on behalf of some very, very powerful elements in America. And um, she wanted her story known because she thinks it's time for the dynamic change she encouraged back in the 1870s through the rest of her life till 1927. Uh, it's time for her to be iconic and lead the way, uh, at least as a precursor and an example of what women can accomplish. I cannot emphasize too much how absolutely fascinating her story has been and the grit. Uh, and it is a what you call a historical novel. <laughs> Why did you call it that? Yeah, I didn't turn. I didn't coin that phrase. Um, I, I'm not sure who did. I know that um, Kathleen McGowan, who wrote a wonderful trilogy uh, about the Magdalene tradition, uh, references it in her book. I don't know if she created it or not, but um, the, the concept is that history has been written by men, um, primarily. Uh, can go even further and say that history has been written by the survivors for the victors, or <laughs> by the victors to impress the leaders of the victors. And the orientation is definitely a male worldview. The concept of historical fiction is to see the world through a woman and her sensitivities and the way she perceives it. I guess the, the, the pinnacle or the highlight of the book is when she challenges 
Frederick Douglass in the offices of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, publishing The Revolution, their uh, newspaper for the suffrage movement. She challenges Frederick Douglass that she can proclaim that she has no way of understanding the plight of being a Negro in America. Would he not give her the same courtesy, honor, and respect to declare that as a man, there was no way he could understand what she suffered as a woman in America? It's kind of, it's one of the pinnacle points in the book, and, and you'll have to tell me if it worked and was dramatic enough. But um, the idea is to view history from a woman's point of view. What made you into a feminist? I get asked that a lot. I think... I, I, I have to say that you speak in the book in Victoria's voice, and it is absolutely um, uh, crystal clear that, that this is um, a female uh, nurturing spirit, understanding the plight of the woman. I mean, getting into her skin and her 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 mind um, must have been a challenge, but you, you must have had some kind of openness to be able to do that. Well, thank you for the compliment. I tried to make it compelling, and sometimes it wasn't that much of an effort. Um, there, there are whole passages where my hands flew across the keyboard. I, I think I tracked that at one point in time, I, I wrote almost 25 pages, or uh, I'm sorry, 25,000 words uh, in a three or four day period. And I was barely conscious. I mean, I, I think to some degree, Victoria helped write the book, at least in my mind. Um, but the thing about feminism, I think I'm a humanist. I think I'm a person who believes that every single person um, should be respected and honored and loved unless they do something to seriously challenge that, at which point you can choose not to they certainly don't wish them any ill. Uh, I think that's one of the true lessons in the Course in Miracles is that we are created of God and we are made of love. And um, when we're able to maintain that focus, incredible miracles abound in, in your vision. And we're able to do things that we might not otherwise be able to do. So I think my being a feminist is because... Certainly there's an imbalance, and we need to have women respected and honored, cherished and exalted um, to eventually balance the incredible imbalance that's been created. Ultimately, I really do believe, as does one of my mentors, Victor Villasenor, who's an accomplished writer in his series Reign of Gold, um, I really do believe that our salvation as a race is going to come from a feminine point of view. That doesn't necessarily mean that it might, it has to be a woman, but it will come from a feminine point of view. So for me, in part, being a feminist is to restore balance. And a male has to be just as much a feminist as, you know, a male um, energy or the masculine energy. And here we get into the Jungian archetypes of the different qualities within a personality, but only from that balance can come true vision, true insight, true compassion, and the necessary change, the requisite change to move things forward. 
And if we're talking about balance, certainly one sees in Victoria Woodhull the male warrior energy uh, coming forth very strongly. Yeah, she was uh, astonishing. It's really a shame that she's not iconic. I, I think every fourth grader uh, that takes home a uh, assignment to learn about somebody and then represent them dressed like them or represent them to the class, I think that's in the fourth grade. I think both men and women, young boys and girls, should take Victoria Woodhull and uh, quote some of her fabulous quotes. This woman was a true warrior. Thank you for saying that. She was undaunted and compelled. I hope that I have shown the psychological background and the reason she was so compelled, so directed to um, live the life that she did. And even in the darkest and with the most challenged path, she would remove any obstacle and overcome it. it it's ultimately a story of incredible hope and accomplishment. Absolutely. What historical documents were you able to access that gave you the, the, such detailed background? Oh, amazing. The, the Internet today, I could have never done this without computers and the internet. I've been to all many, many university libraries and New York public libraries. Absolutely astonishing. And I owe them a great deal of debt. Um, the, so I've seen original documents, of course, their own literature. Um, they were prolific in both newspaper print as well as publishing their own first woman owned newspaper. And the quotes from that are amazing. Um, also, there's been about six or seven histories written about Victoria and her incredible sister, who we shouldn't leave out, um, Tennessee Celeste Claflin, who led a remarkable life and ends up living like a queen in uh, south, of, uh, south of Lisbon and married to Lord Cook, one of the richest men in Europe. That's after being the paramour of the richest man in America, Cornelius Vanderbilt. Um, but Tennessee is just as important. The amount of um, print still available and uh, uh, current stories, uh, um, extemporaneous stories, is pretty voluminous. So I had a lot of, of material to work through. I just want to add that I would check in with Victoria pretty regularly, asking her to appear in my sleep. And after I'd written about 150 pages, I asked her what she thought of my work. And she said, well, you're missing the most important part of my life. And I said... What's no, that? wait a moment, wait a moment, oh, wait a moment. We're going to have to get to that most important point in your life right after this break. We do have to take a okay. break, but then you won't want to miss the rest of this interview. Stay with us. Feed your soul with waves of consciousness on Ohm Times Radio. Join Elliot Jolish, the business therapist, each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern for the Elliot Jolish Hour as he interviews business experts on your behalf. And you're invited to email your business questions to questions at ecjgroup.com for answers live on air every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Elliot Jolish Hour. 
being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. OM Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single OM Times endeavor. Host your show with OM Times Radio Network. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Mediumship Messages and Musings explores mediumship and all things metaphysical. Lisa Phoenix invites you to reach above and beyond your everyday experiences to explore new dimensions in the spirit world. She will do live readings to connect callers to their loved ones in spirit, shares engaging stories and teachings from her own personal experience, and will have intriguing conversations with other mediums, spiritual teachers, and healers to help you understand the metaphysical world so you can connect to these forces in your day-to-day life. Join your hosts on this magical and metaphysical journey into the world of spirit every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Your conscious lifestyle on steroids. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. With Neil Katz, the author of Outrageous, the Victoria Woodhull Saga, and we've been talking about his first volume, Rise to Riches. Neil, just before the break, oh, first of all, is there a website that people can go to? Oh, thank you for asking. Yes, uh... If you go to Amazon and type in Outrageous, Rise to Riches, uh, the book is available in Kindle form at pre-release price of uh, uh, $2.99. It will be uh, double that or more once it's released. So you can reserve your copy for $2.99 at Kindle. It's Outrageous, Rise to Riches, or you can type in N-E-A-L-K-A-T-Z. The website for the book is www.thevictoriawoodhullsaga.com. Com. And there's a lot of information on the website. I hope it's uh, used as a platform for people to do some uh, familiarization and get to know the subject matter. Uh, and as you know, Miriam, because we've talked about it, it also identifies the charitable work that I want to conduct. Absolutely. Well, just before the break, you were talking about Victoria's inspired uh uh, communication with you saying that you had missed the main point. What was it? Well, she did this a couple of times, but the, the primary thing she told me in the beginning of writing was I wasn't paying anywhere near enough attention to her sister. Uh, she was seven years younger, stunningly beautiful, uh, Victorian press in their uh, being crude and, and proper, even identified her as entering a, a room with her prodigious breasts preceding her. They were so uh, consumed and, uh, with the image of her physicality. This young woman at age 23, 24, beguiled or <clears throat> fell in love with Cornelius Vanderbilt, 
the richest man in America, who was 74 at the time. That love affair led to the gold scandal of 1869. And it's a wonderful opportunity to see the problems, the inherent systematic problems of free capital markets that still exist today and certainly existed then. And it's uh, the book incorporates, as you know, a full expose of the gold scandal of 1869, which was the near total collapse, worse than even 2007, 2008, of the U.S. economy. And um, in the end, Ulysses S. Grant sends Vanderbilt a telegram asking him to intercede, not knowing that Vanderbilt was fully uh, complicit in creating the, the problem. And he ends up being called the savior of, of America, the saving the economy, and uh, really one of his last grand roars or hurrahs as a 74-year-old man. He's, he was going to die about seven years later. But um, what Victoria told me was pay more attention to Tennessee. And I, I started doing that, and the book got a lot better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I would often consult with Victoria and... Uh, you know, <laughs> I guess some people could call me certifiable for saying that, but I really believe there's so much more communication that we have access to, and probably your audience appreciates that appreciates that more than most. But there, we have so much more capacity than our limited scope, the typical definition of ourselves allows. When we open up to this, the levels of creativity, the levels of profundity that we can accomplish and really affect true change is just astonishing. Uh, I would like to point out that the both sisters themselves were highly intuitive and, in fact, uh, gave some pretty profound readings, uh, du- you know, during their, uh, uh, their lifetimes. And their intuitive abilities... Uh, I would imagine, helped them quite a bit in moving into the circles, first of all, in surviving their horrible uh, childhood, and but moving into the circles that were absolutely at the pinnacle of power. I mean, they were playing in the big leagues. They were hobnobbing with J.P. Morgan and Cornelius Vanderbilt, you know, the poet Walt Whitman. Um, this is an absolutely astonishing story. Yes, they both developed clairvoyance uh, at a very young age. Um, they made it their living for a long time. And Victoria herself served three terms, consecutive terms, as president of the American Spiritualist Society. Mm-hmm. Both of them were uh, renowned spiritualists, and uh, Victoria and Tennessee would often identify to the curious, you know, how could they know what they did and how to place their bets, if you will, or their purchases in the stock market. And Victoria would say she consults with the spirits. Um, That was a little bit tongue-in-cheek because the way they really made their fame and fortune without giving the whole book away is that they organized a information system and provided unique and unknown information to Vanderbilt. She was really one of the first people to capitalize on what we would call today the information age. 
Indeed. You, you have to read the book because this is absolutely delicious. It is fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is. What was your biggest surprise writing this book? The complexity of human nature. I asked Victoria when I would be writing about another character to summon him and let me interview them, uh, him or her. And when I did this, I was always amazed at how complex and diverse people were. Um, the true deep motivations of a Cornelius Vanderbilt, who basically established the American mythos. I mean, this guy was a dirt farmer that ended up, by great magnitudes, the wealthiest man in America, building empires and creating the business model of, of the outrageous entrepreneur who would dare and risk everything to accomplish his focused goal. Um, so interviewing Cornelius Vanderbilt, built interviewing the very famous, uh, most famous man in America at the time, the Reverend Henry Ward Beecher, and finding out their true motivations astonished me. It also left me with a message, I think, especially to younger people who read the book, that people are not a soundbite. People are not a terse phrase summation. It's a lot more complex than that. There's only one real, almost single-dimensional character because he was basically evil with no saving or uh, no salvation, no saving <laughs> grace. And that was her father. He, he was a bad, bad guy. And sort of is the prototype for er, all the abuses of women uh, from the male sex. So I think the lesson more than anything was the, or the surprise was the, not only the complexity, but the actual reasons that people did things which get revealed throughout the course of the book. Well, I cannot wait for the next volume. Are you into it already? Yeah, I'm about 150 pages into it. Uh, it should be released but by the uh, spring or summer of the coming year. And uh, thank you for saying that. I, I hope the saga continues. I hope we get a TV show because I think this is something that should be iconic and important in America. Uh, it would make a wonderful series. It's It begs for a BBC uh, television treatment. Right? Uh, showing your British, you're showing your British background there. <laughs> yeah, it would be great. What's true is true. Yeah, BBC or even uh, some of the high-quality HBO or Showtime. Uh -huh. Yes, that, that level. Uh, it, it's certainly a Downton Abbey type story. Absolutely. Now, you yourself had a, have an impressive background in both business and finance. Um, certainly, the, that informed your ability to make such uh, sense out of the different streams of economic machinations that were uh, going around in the, the 1800s. It's almost like like history has come full circle, both with the interest in spirituality and also the manipulations of the financial sector and also of the tremendous, I would say, uh, perilous state of the economy. Um, what, uh, what do you think we can do about it? Well, and I'd add that absolutely we've come full circle and the, the, the third leg of that stool is the women's movement 
and gender equality, um, represented by the He for She Foundation, um, the United Nations Movement for Gender Solidarity. Um, and the fact that we have two female candidates for the presidency. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, by the way, just a side note, I'd like a feminine candidate for the presidency, not necessarily a female <laughs> But that's a whole different distinction. I, I just want to say that what we can do about it is learn from history and understand how things got started and how we can change them. And that's part of the reason I want to do the Charitable Foundation. I want to establish this concept of credit funding. And the goal is to demonstrate to America how we can help women to help themselves, help them lift themselves up by their own bootstraps by giving them opportunity, but then having them responsible to help the next person in line. And that's outlined on the website under the foundation button. Uh, there's links to it. Uh, we hope to do a reality show and actually make visible to America and prove the point that single women are our best investment and highest grade investment that we're capable of making in America. Here, here. And again, Thanks. the website is the Victoria Woodhull Saga.com. We have been speaking with Neil Katz, the author of Outrageous, the Victoria Woodhull Saga. Please join us next week when we will have more rising stars of the new consciousness. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>